Welcome to episode 4 of the Board Game Battles podcast. We take two games with the common trait, discuss each, and see if we can declare one a winner. I'm your host, Randall, and with me today are my co-hosts, Jeff and Drew. Hello. Happy Halloween, you damn dirty apes. <laughs> That's right, it's Halloween, and this is going to be our um, Halloween episode. Um, today, we're going to be discussing uh, two games, uh, the common trait being one versus many hidden movement games. And the two we're going to be discussing are Fury of Dracula and Letters from Whitechapel. And then afterwards, following our discussion, we'll be doing our Imperial Assault segment, where we discuss what's current in Imperial Assault news. Um, like normal, we're going to be um, starting with the game that's the oldest. Now, there's a little bit of a change here because um, if you look, we're going to be discussing Fury of Dracula 3rd Edition. Fury of Dracula actually came out originally in 1987 for its first edition. So we're going to start with Fury of Dracula. And then we'll go to Letters of Whitechapel, which came out in 2011. Now, we're going to be changing things up a little bit as we play around with the format of the uh, podcast. So we're going to be taking turns discussing these games. Uh, Drew is going to take us through Fear of Dracula, and then I'll be taking us through Letters from Whitechapel. And then at the end, heading up our Imperial Assault discussion will be Jeff. So we'll start with Drew. Okay. This won't be a deep dive into every nuance of Fury of Dracula. We essentially started with the uh, basic game, there are advanced rules to this, and uh, even in the base game, there is there is so much variation um, in in the way that the game plays out based on encounter cards and event cards that you you really just can't get absolutely everything. But we'll take you through the uh, the basics of the game. As Randall already mentioned, uh, Fury of Dracula Third Edition is um, an asymmetrical one versus many hidden movement deduction game. Yeah, Fury of Dracula Third Edition is uh, a game for two to five players where one player is cast in the starring role of uh, his evilness himself, Dracula, and uh, the other one to four players are cast in the role of hunters. The hunters being Lord Godalming, Dr. John Seward, Van Helsing, and Mina Harker. The game is played over the course of multiple weeks. Um, Fortunately, that's game weeks, not real weeks. Um, and each week is broken down into its seven days with each day having a night phase and a day phase. And, uh, what I thought I'd do is start with, uh, gameplay on the hunter side, because the, the game plays very differently depending on whether you're Dracula or whether you're one of the hunters. Uh, so the hunters, um, all play in order. And the one thing I should point out is if you're playing, um, you know, just with you and one other, one other friend, uh, that one other friend has to play all four of the hunters. All four of the hunters are, are required to uh, play, so um, you'll end up having to control all four of the hunters. If you have uh, two players on the on the hunter side, you can split them up so each one has has two of the hunters, etc. Uh, so during the uh, the hunter phase of the game, um, each of the each of the hunters um, has special abilities that will help them throughout the game um, in an effort to try to track down Dracula and believe me they'll need every every advantage they can get it's not that easy to track Dracula down and drive a stake or a rifle through his heart so the, I guess maybe the, the place to start with the um, with the hunters is uh, with their movement all of this action takes place in Europe and uh, each of the cities in Europe and there are quite a few of them are connected by a series of roads and railways uh, there is also uh, a, a section of this game that can be done 
um, travel like the travel portion anyway um, done on the on the sea so you can travel from let's say uh, um, you know the north of England to Spain via via sea travel and important thing to point out is that um, Dracula is not afforded the the benefit of train travel uh, for some reason Dracula does not like trains I guess strange as that may be so during during each each hunter's turn uh, they can perform a move action, but only during the day phase. Dracula, on the other hand, gets to move uh, once during the day and once at night. They can, like I said, they can move or they can reserve a ticket, which um, allows them to perform a, a rail move on their next turn. Uh, they can rest, which allows them to recover any damage they may have uh, accrued if they had a nasty encounter with Dracula. Uh, they can search their current location to reveal any encounter cards that Dracula may have played, and we'll get into that a little bit later once we start talking about how Dracula plays his game. They can perform a special move, or special action, sorry, uh, based on, you know, like I said, each hunter has, has a special ability, um, or they may have acquired a special action that they can perform from a, an event card, or they can sometimes perform an action based on one of their item cards. Other than that, they can they can play or sorry they can perform a supply action, which is how they acquire those um, those event cards in the first place. So during that phase, they will acquire an item and an event card, and uh, they may have to discard based on their hand limits for those. And each um, each one of the uh, hunters has a an item limit and a an event card limit. Um, or if they happen to be in the same city, they can trade items back and forth. So the the general play of uh, from the hunter's side is um, to essentially get themselves ready for an eventual encounter with Dracula. So they will acquire items. Uh, some of the items may be pistols or rifles or garlic. Um, and each one of these things will help them if they, you know, end up in combat with Dracula. Outside of that, they want to cast a fairly wide net and try to track Dracula's trail down. Um, once they manage to stumble across his trail, then essentially that's when really the action starts and, and the hunt is on. So that might be a good place to kind of switch over to the other side and uh, we can have a look at the things that Dracula does. For the most part, um, throughout the game, Dracula is essentially trying to stall the action. Um, he wants to remain hidden as long as possible, but he, he is forced to move uh, during each one of the day and night phases. So during each one of those phases, um, Dracula will pick a location on the map and he will place that location hidden um, to the rest of the players on his location track. And then along with that, he will choose an, uh, sorry, an encounter card, which allows him to sort of lay traps for the hunters. So some of it is traps like dogs or rats or you know that sort of thing. Uh, you know, anything that he can, he can throw at them to delay it. Um, but he can also, and, and this is really the, the way that Dracula makes a lot of points, is he can sire vampires. So one of these uh, encounter cards that he may place on one of these locations may be a vampire. Um, then as, as Dracula moves um, to the next location, he slides the first location on his track one space over and puts down the new location and a new encounter card. So this this continues until, you know, essentially the the... Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to continue regardless whether the, the hunters find him or not. But these uh, locations will continue to move from essentially from left to right on Dracula's location track. And some of these encounters uh, may 
mature, which means that they take on a, a much more serious impact to the game. Um, if if one of the hunters had stumbled across one of these locations, uh, Dracula has the option to basically trigger the trap, or he can let it go, and hopefully that encounter will mature and, and, like I said, have a much more serious impact. I mentioned a little bit earlier, one of the actions that the hunters could take if they stumbled across one of these locations is that they could do a search. And if uh, they manage to stumble across one of, you know, Dracula's hideouts, they can perform a search action, which forces the revealing of that uh, encounter card. So, you know, this this can kind of be a double-edged sword. Um, one hand, it's, it's likely not going to be... Um, you know, a, a very nice encounter for the, the hunter. But at the same time, if they don't, you know, trigger that encounter um, and it slides off the uh, the location track, it will likely be even worse news for them later. The other things that, that can happen um, is that Dracula can encounter the hunter himself and uh, that will essentially force a combat round. So this is this is really what the, the hunters are are trying to do in the first place is to catch up with Dracula and wound him enough that that uh, they kill him. But you know, from from Dracula's perspective, uh, one of his one of the ways that he um, can accrue some points. And actually, I should have backed up and talked about how he scores points um, as um, as the uh, days and weeks go on. Um, Dracula is trying to increase his influence in in Europe, and that's actually tracked on an influence track. Um, so as you know, the weeks pass. If the hunters don't catch up with Dracula, sure enough, he's going to increase his influence. And when his influence reaches, I think it was 13, that's it. The game is over and Dracula has won. The hunters need to catch up with Dracula and wound him enough. And he takes 15 wounds um, before his influence reaches this magical number of 13. The longer, though, that the game goes on, uh, the more easily, uh, the more sorry, the more easy it is for Dracula to score influence points. Okay, so that's generally how how each side will play. The one thing we haven't discussed is uh, the combat, though. So, what happens when the hunters finally catch up with Dracula? So, hopefully, they've they've uh, you know acquired enough items like the pistol, like the garlic, that sort of thing, um, to help them when they when they uh, you know get toe to toe with Dracula. The way that the, the hunters track Dracula down is simply through moving from location to location. Um, if they manage to move to a location that Dracula has been, um, and hopefully that location is still on his location track, Dracula is forced to reveal that location. So, you know, if um, three moves ago Dracula happened to be in Paris and uh, one of the hunters moves into Paris, uh, Dra- the Dracula player is forced to reveal that card on the location track. It's at that point that, that Dracula gets to make the decision about whether or not to trigger his encounter and either, you know, spring that trap for the hunters or, you know, what they're, they're really no not much of a threat to me. So I'm going to let that encounter go and uh, hopefully it matures later on. If they do happen to actually find Dracula, he is immediately revealed on, on uh, the board on his location and uh, combat will ensue that round. So like I said, hopefully the, um, the hunters have acquired enough items and, and, and some event cards that will hopefully allow them to you know, wound Dracula enough. On the other hand, Dracula may escape from the, from the combat unharmed and uh, you know, may sort of fade into the mist again and, and uh, you know, try to escape and you know, once again become hidden. 
which means that the hunters will have to try to track him down again. So essentially, it's it's really just a matter of the hunters, you know, finally catching up with Dracula and wounding him enough that uh, that they, essentially they kill him. And hopefully they've done that before Dracula meets all of his victory conditions. So there's also um, event cards too. Yeah, that's that can help us locate Dracula. Yes, as you're as you're playing through the game, the the hunters will get those event cards as they perform a supply action. So they'll generally uh, each one of the hunters can draw one item and one event every time they supply. Although one of the special abilities that the um, one of the hunters has and that one is Lord Godalming, he can draw two item cards instead of one. So when when the hunters draw those, uh, they draw them a little bit differently depending on whether it's day or nighttime. Another thing I I should note is that there are some Dracula-based item cards in that deck that get shuffled in. And those are are represented a little bit differently in the artwork. Um, You'd be able to tell once you saw them. But um, during the daytime, the hunters will draw item cards off the top of of the item, or sorry, not items. They will draw event cards off the top of the event card deck. Um, During the nighttime phase, they draw them off the bottom. So if it's daytime and they are going to draw an event card, and it happens to have the, uh, the Dracula bat symbol on top of them, they can simply discard those. If they happen to draw one of those off of the bottom of the deck during the night phase, that event card is passed face down over to Dracula. And now he's got another weapon in his arsenal to either waylay or um, in in some way basically throw the hunters off their game. So that is really the game in in a nutshell. Um, It's a cat and mouse game. And yeah, each each side just has to meet their victory conditions before the other the other side. The one interesting thing to note too about this game is is uh, there is a rule about table talk. So the hunters can plan all they want, but they have to talk freely in front of the Dracula player. Um, anybody who wants to show the you know one hunter wants to show another hunter one of his uh, item or event cards, Dracula gets to see that too. Unless they happen to be in the same city, in which case, uh, then they can, you know, whisper to each other or show their cards in, in secret, and Dracula isn't afforded that information. So that's that's it, basically, in a nutshell. Yeah, it was a like you mentioned at the beginning. We were playing the uh, the basic version of the game. So, and there are a few differences between the basic and the advanced. Um, the primary one, I believe, being placement. Yeah. Yeah. So as the hunters. We're all in the basic. We're all in um, select set locations. locations. Set yeah. locations. A little bit spread out over the map. Uh, Lord Goldeming is way out in the far east. Um, the doctor, which I don't remember the doctor's name. Seward. Yeah. Dr. Seward. Dr. Seward is down in uh, near Italy. And both um, Mina and Van Helsing. Van Helsing are at the top of the map. Not yeah. in uh, England, but just sort of yeah. below. Yeah, on the continent, right near the English Channel. Yeah, and so I guess the only real difference between is you get to pick your location, your starting location in the advanced. Yeah. Now, there's probably some other things that are different in advanced as well. Oh yeah, there's there's loads of of additional powers that Dracula can have. I I, I don't know that there's too much difference for the hunters other than placement, but there is uh, there is quite a bit of a difference for the for the play for Dracula. But um, yeah, we didn't we didn't play the the advanced version of the game, so yeah. I don't, maybe <laughs> in a future podcast, or you can just I guess go out and buy the game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, we did uh, we played, did play the basic, and we did give it 
two different playthroughs just to um, to make sure it was kind of a odd game. Well, our first one we seemed to we reached a point where Dracula entered the water. When Dracula goes on the water, he takes wounds. Yeah, but it wasn't a big enough deterrent and gave him enough time to delay. And he moves so much faster than the regular hunters on yeah. water that he just made it to the other side of the map, and there's nothing we could do. Yeah, it's it's really that that Dracula gets to move during the daytime and the nighttime that, that uh, I mean, it is a huge advantage for Dracula. Yeah. And, uh, yes, although he takes damage when he enters the, uh, you know, an ocean or sea space, he can put so much distance between himself and and the hunters that, yeah, it, I think in that first game, you know, I, I got to play the, the Dracula role and, uh, you know, I, I essentially went from, you know, one end of the continent to the other. And... I mean, it's just that puts so much space between Dracula and the hunters that, you know, they had spent so many turns to try to move back to that that side of the continent, only for me to hop back into the into the sea and take off the opposite direction. Yeah, and I didn't feel like us as hunters in that in the first playthrough, I didn't feel like we had a chance. No, it it was was, we we encountered his trail. We did a few things, but he was so far ahead of us and then hopped in the water. Yeah. And escaped us completely. And it, the water movement's really odd too. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, the hunters—if you come across his trail when you're on land, yeah, you flip it over and you see where it is. Mm-hmm. In the water, there is none of that in the water. If you go into the water as a hunter, you're out in the water. You can't do anything during the day other than move. So you 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 move only during the day as a hunter in the water. But if you happen to go over, you know, the water space that. Dracula was taking you don't reveal it so you don't you can't tell you can't block Dracula in any way in the water because like you know I, I see the the logic you know somewhat um it's a lot of water you can't really but you can't follow his trail like you can't follow his trail you're only guessing where he's going you're you're well, as soon as he hits the water you're playing the guessing game okay he's in the water where is he going you're going okay he's in the water for three turns and then he hit land. Okay, so where could he potentially be? And that's assuming you know where he went in the water. If you haven't figured that out, you're really lost. Yeah. Um, what else is... I just was just thinking about it as you're describing it. What feels kind of lopsided in, about the sea travel to me as well is Dracula is not limited in sea travel like the hunters are. So for some reason, his boat can go at both at day and night, yeah. whereas our boats can only travel during the day. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense no. from the perspective of is he if he's driving the boat, I guess it makes some sense and if we're driving our boats it makes some sense, but I'm assuming they're paying for passage. I'm... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's problematic enough that there has been multiple posts um regarding this on on the board game geek forums. Um one one post in particular got you know quite a bit of discussion going. And, and the post was was called Dracula Pirate King, and mm-hmm. essentially a lot of people are are seeing that as uh, as a distinct issue with the game. In in a lot of cases, what what people are noticing is that it Dracula could essentially win the game while he's at sea. Yeah, you know, and and well, or or sorry, he would essentially stay out at sea uh, long enough to allow time to uh, progress once he's into the uh, the third. Um, you know, once he's got his third influence chit on, or sorry, not uh, influence. What are they called? Yeah, when, once he's into the third week and the third despair token hits the um, hits the board. Essentially, every time that Dracula places a a new location on the board, he gains three influence. So mm, right. 
Um, you know, what, what people were finding was that, you know, okay, fine, Dracula, you know, evades the hunters for the first couple of weeks, maybe slips through their, their net. And then, you know, once he gets out to sea, it's sort of at that, that critical phase of the, of the third despair token being on the board. And, uh, you know, he, he just simply waits a bit. And then as soon as he hits land, you know, the influence track moves three right. and then, and then another three. So, um, yeah, it, it, it looks like it's, it's, it's maybe not a huge advantage if, um, you know, you have a team of very experienced hunters, maybe there's ways to prevent him. Um, certainly one of the, one of the allies that, um, that the hunters can get through their, through their event cards makes it more costly for Dracula to, um, to go out on the sea, essentially, um, he would take two damage for entering the sea normally and one damage for each sea location that he moves to. But this ally makes it more expensive that it's two to enter the water and then two for every every sea location. Right. And we, um, and we got that. Had him in the second playthrough. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's why we did the second playthrough, I think, yeah. was to see if this was a limitation to the game, the sea movement. And you guys got... I was Dracula in the second game, and it's like right away I started in a place... Well, England, where you have to do sea travel to get to me and me to get back to land. And you guys got like this perfect storm of things as the hunters. You yes. had an ally that caused more damage to me if I moved in the sea. Right. You had a card that revealed any sea location that I was on in yep. the events. Right. So there was a whole bunch of advantages you guys got in the second game, but it still wasn't enough. No. Yeah. 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 I guess we should tell listeners the only way that we won in that second game was you had, you had made a mistake with your location track. And yeah, uh, there I was is planning a... too far ahead and placed a wrong location. Yeah. That, and there's a rule in the game that if Dracula moves incorrectly, he's immediately revealed to the players when they discover this. And he takes five wounds and they can basically... Well, they eliminate all his events and stuff that were coming up up to the point that he's revealed. Yeah. So it revealed me at a very inopportune time. But if yeah, they I, hadn't have found me then that way, I was back in the water and won in one more turn. That's right. That's true. Yeah. And and although you you had taken quite a bit of of damage at that point from from the sea travel, you still had some room to move there. Definitely. So you know it's it's something that that people have identified as an issue. Um, there has been some discussion about it, and, and there are, there are some people that feel nope, this is this is really not an issue, and you just need to be a better hunter. Uh, which you know, I will I'll say maybe that's maybe that's true. Maybe we haven't played this nearly enough, and, and we're not very efficient as hunters. That's that's great, but there are a lot of people that have played this a lot and still identified as an issue. And just from the sheer amount of discussion about about house ruling this, uh, yeah. you know, I I, I said that. You know, I thought to myself, this is, if you have to house rule this stuff, you know, that's that's an issue with the game. Right. Yeah. And this is now the third edition of this game. It looks like we haven't played the other editions. I own the second edition. We have looked it over, but we never actually had a chance to bring it to the table. But, you know, it still seems to follow a lot of the same things. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it still has the sea areas. Even from the first edition, there was the sea areas. And then you had the English Channel separating England and uh, the rest of Europe. Um, so I, I can only imagine that this has been ongoing for this this game since the beginning. Um, so there's been ample time to try to come up with a better system, but it, you know it just hasn't been addressed, I guess. But it's funny because even with this, I found myself wanting to like this game. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wanted to play it again just to see because I didn't want to believe it was crippling 
to the game design as the hunters. I wanted to find a way to combat that strategy because it's themed well. It mm-hmm. like it looks mm-hmm. nice. It's got the right concept for combat and the events and stuff. Like it, it just had a lot to it that I wanted it to be a good game. And maybe it isn't. Maybe the people on the BGG forums are correct, and that it is just too crippling of a feature for the C movement. Yeah. Now in the advanced mode, we do get to choose where we start, and so you know maybe choosing different um, uh, starting areas where the, maybe the uh, the hunters. I'm trying to say, how do you spread them out more or how do you centralize them more so that they can cover more area a bit better? But then that is mitigated because Dracula gets to choose his startling yeah. location anyways. Dracula just chooses where he starts from. And in our second game, you started on England. Yeah. So we started on, on the main continent. You started in England. It didn't... Um, we, 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 we thought maybe you could have started on England and we're saying, okay, well, if he had started on England following through the map... You could have at most um, four or five moves on land before you have to jump in the land or jump in sea, and you pretty much did. I think we had something where but, we were able to reveal your starting point at some point. Yeah, and, but the thing is, is that there was a perfect six moves, and once yeah. once Dracula hit six moves, he starts maturing his events. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I jump in the water, and then my locations start to disappear. And I move once on the water, and then I can just repeat that route. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest. I, I think I found the the same thing uh, when when I played Dracula. It was, um, you know, it was en- enough to to lay down those uh, those encounters in such a way that you know I, I was um, you know I, I could mature some you know a, at least one vampire, um, get on the board with you know four influence, you know, and then you know take off in a different direction and you know put down another vampire that's you know going to it's you know you're almost guaranteed that's going to mature before they before they get to me as dracula they might find my trail but they are not going to get to me before that point um so i would just position myself close to a port yeah it's an easy escape route because there's nothing they can do when they, they lose their trail unless they have the right cards yeah yeah, and that was a big thing. Like getting when you get that thirteen influence and, and you mature a vampire, that's four influence each time. It just it goes cycles so fast. Quickly. Yeah. It does. And we never even we got we both games we got to the second week, but it wasn't far into the second week by the time the game was over. Like we never got to a third week. So it's No. Now the the one the one thing that I, I think we we absolutely could have um played to our advantage more was was Mina's special ability. Mm-hmm. Um now, Mina has a special ability that uh, if she's in the same city as any other hunter, she can force Dracula to tell you um, if he's within um, within their region. Right. So I, I kind of think that you know possibly the best way to play you know with with that advantage is to start the game with with Mina and one of the other hunters traveling together by rail as fast as they can around the map. You know, just and spend heading. nights kind of yeah. searching and day travel to the next location. Yeah, get as many train tickets as you can and just go. And you know, once you get to another, you know, try to get to a different region as much, as fast as possible and force Dracula to start revealing himself. And um, you know, maybe track him down that way. Now, I, I, I think we only made use of that you know once or twice, and that's. That still doesn't Probably prevent advantage, the but... England start. Though. No, like uh, you almost have to sacrifice someone if you're doing that advanced setup in England 
to yeah. prevent Dracula yeah. from maturing two vampires right in the first six turns without any way to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things is when you mature, when you Dracula matures a vampire, he automatically clears the um, the four, five, and six part portion of the track. Um, when he does that, so it gives him back two locations he can travel to again. Um, but Dracula has to be careful uh, what he throws in there, just in case, so he doesn't have two well, mature he, vampires. I guess he also has away. to reveal. I think with all, all most of the ones I saw, anyways, he had to reveal the location that the vampire was. was maturing from. Yeah, but then yes. it covers his trail up for two turns. Yeah. Right. So it really puts this question of which way he went from that location into play right so and if you put another vampire spawn three turns away from the first one it's gonna again rewrite the trail like it just it's so quick as dracula if you get those encounter cards in the right order yeah absolutely and then like you said you jumped into the water and circled around and went right back into england yeah (laughs) yeah and i i mean i think the game should be difficult um you know, from from the hunter perspective, yeah, it has to be. It's a four on one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there are there are definite advantages on the hunter side, but I, yeah, I just wonder, you know, whether it's whether it's too lopsided in in favor of Dracula. It it's it seems that way. I think out, out of the, at least with the couple times that we played, that 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 was the case, and and I can't see that being you know mitigated in any way with with the advanced rule play. There, there's definitely some some new uh, new elements that come in with the game that make Dracula an, an even more dangerous, uh, you know, adversary. But having said that, it, if I think with what we saw with the combat against Dracula, once you're a couple days in and people have weapons, stuff like that, and you can get two people in the same location, if you can find Dracula and he doesn't have a quick escape to water they do have advantages in that regard. Like, it's easy to wound Dracula in combat if there's multiple people. Not if there's one person, but if there's multiple people in an area. Dracula actually gets wounded pretty easily. Yeah. Yes. But it's the cornering him that... with if That's what makes it impossible, is the cornering him yeah. to go through that is difficult. With a proper Dracula movement, you can make it so that they will find you and you'll be gone before they can do anything to you. Just yeah, like you did, jump you... on a boat. Yeah, from the hunter hunter side, you definitely need to to essentially tool up for the the eventual um, meetup with with Dracula. But yeah, locating him for that for that final duel is very difficult. Yeah, it is. It really was. Okay, I think that's all we really have to say about that. Yep. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we didn't really talk. There's a few things we didn't talk about, um, like the rule book and the components. Um, the rule book, it's, it's sort of the going with the, the current method of Fantasy Flight, giving you two rule books, uh, like a fast learn. Yeah, sort there's, of there's a learn to play and yeah. a rule reference. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they do a good job with these books. But I think, as usual, there's, you're looking things up and you're not sure where you're looking it up. You're going back and forth a lot. It's not always the easiest to reference. Uh, Component-wise, though, it's a beautiful game. Um, yeah. Like, nice board. Um, they really increased the size of the board. We were comparing it to the second edition, which I own, and huge. Like they added yep. like a third to the board. Why, but I don't know if it needs to have that third. No, 
it seems a bit over excessive. Yeah, it just took up too much space almost. Yeah, and we're, we're on our first playthrough, we were playing it on a uh, you know an average table, not a, like a big table, but we were at a game cafe again. We were at the gamers lodge, and it was an average size table, but it took up the whole table practically, and we had to have, like really scrunch the rest of the components in so we could play with them. On the second playthrough, we were playing on our table, uh, my table, which is a little bit bigger. It has some leaves, so it, it helps. It helps out a lot. Um, so you, you sort of need a little bit bigger table for that game in that size. When you go back to the second edition, the you know it, it shrinks it down by 33%. It, um, it seems to have a lot of the same elements to it. Um, the graphic design is obviously different. Um, they really made it a lot nicer um, looking in the new version. Like It's a really beautifully laid out um, board. Um, whereas the older one, I think they were going for more of a... An like older, a Euro Victorian kind yeah, of look. Exactly. It, it made it a little harder to see the like the road routes or the differences between the yellow and the white yeah, the train yellow and tracks. The white train tracks, yeah, they were there, but they, you could definitely see it. Well, I think the the one thing we noticed too was uh, on on the second edition board game, you really couldn't discern um, the regions in Europe very well. Right? Yeah, they didn't have the the clearly defined. Um, Regions like they did in, in the third edition. Uh, that might also come down to some of the differences, I think. Yeah, they might not have powers been too. rules for different regions in the second edition. Yeah, uh, they did uh, make a few differences, um, def- a definite few changes anyways, because um, in the third edition, there was the whole despair track where you have, you're tracking everything by week. You have your, your each day would have the day phase and the night phase, and then you go, you track a whole week, and then once you pass a week, you add a despair token to the... Uh, to the center of the of the little clock or whatever you want to call it, the calendar, and then track another week. In the second edition, all you're tracking is the day. So you have like just one thing in the middle. It tracks the day. It gives you like three phases for each. Um, I think like dot uh, like morning, dusk, afternoon, dawn, dawn yeah. Or, yeah, dusk, and all that. There's like so it's like six sort of seems like phases to a day, and it doesn't track the week. Um, I didn't fully go through the second edition, so I don't know if it had anything equivalent to the despair that would eventually come up. But, you know, there are differences like that. But uh, everything else, though, uh, and they did a lot of production on the board and the cards and and the tokens going between the two editions, but then they kept the original minis. So it was like the exact same miniatures in the second edition, which they're they're serviceable, you know, for a mm-hmm. board game, yeah. they're fine. Um, but when you're used to some of the newer stuff that they're coming out with, it just isn't quite the same quality that you're kind of seeing from other stuff from Fantasy Flight. Oh yeah, like I was just going to say, especially for them, you know, when you're when you're releasing, you know, literally millions of of minis for you know Imperial Assault and and every other game that they have, and all the different Arkham yeah. games, and all yeah. that, you know, come out with these nice minis and everything, and then yeah. you get. This, the fear of Dracula is like these old guys and they're like oh, okay. yeah they're very small they're and very small and sometimes not... you're trying to figure out okay is this is this the right guy is this Lord Goldeming is this yeah person? there wasn't <laughs> once you're familiar with them you'd probably distinguish pretty quickly but at first look yeah. it, it could be confusing because there wasn't they weren't big enough to see detail right yeah but um, otherwise you know, the components were very nice as expected but yeah so that was Fury of Dracula and so then we will um, go on to the other comparison game, which is Letters from Whitechapel. Uh, I'm going to take us through that one. Uh, so Letters from Whitechapel has been out for a little while now. It came out in 2011. I won't 
discuss too much about who uh, designed it or everything like that. Um, you can always look that kind of thing up on Board Game Geek. It's uh, actually designed by Duo, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce their names. They're, I think they're both Italian, and so it totally escapes me. But uh, <laughs> uh, in this game, uh, looking at the uh, manual, it's uh, it's a you know it was a really nice, well done manual. It had a lot of uh, touches through it. Through the uh, that that you can see, like a lot of flourish went into this um, in the design of the of the manual. It um, you know it was very stylized, but it still gave you all the the main, the main content you're looking for. It tells you what's in the box. It gives you the uh, the layout, the nice setup, and everything. Nice pictures for all the different setup, all the different token pawns and tokens you're looking for for this game. Um, nice little bright breakdown of okay, um, preparing the game. It takes you through it step by step. This is what you do. And this is how you get set up. So it was. I really liked it. It was laid out really well for that. Then it takes you through the how to play. And this is where it could get a bit hard to find things um, or interpret things is when you're getting into the actual playing of the game. It was still laid out really nicely and it wasn't hard to read at all. But uh, there were times when I was flipping through the manual trying to find something and it wasn't always necessarily the easiest to find what I was looking for. And there were, I think there was like an FAQ out there as well, which I think is helpful. But overall, it's still nice manual, and it does uh, it does describe the game fairly well. But during, as we discuss the game, there'll probably be a couple things that we bring up that I think could have been described a bit better in the manual. Uh, Component-wise, um, again, it's this was also produced by Fantasy Flight Games, and it was another big board, um, same size as the Fear of Dracula. So it took up. We were playing it at the uh, at the at the cafe again, and it was it took up the whole table. Now it wasn't quite so bad with this one. The rest of the components weren't so bad that you were. I think we were running out of space. Well, you have less stuff to worry about. Yeah, Just yeah there's not as simple. much to worry about for the players. There's not a whole bunch of cards you're holding on to like in Fury of Dracula. So you know, there's a bunch of little um, uh, chips and counters and stuff like that that you keep track of and you put on the board when you need them. Um, and the player person playing Jack, um, Jack the Ripper, because I should, probably should mention this is a game about Jack the Ripper um, and his um, tirade, or whatever we call it, um, his murder spree, murder spree through uh, London. And um, so there's a number of tokens. There's a couple of tokens for Jack. There's a number. Of, there's five police tokens. So this game can play up to uh, six players. So you have five policemen and one person playing Jack. There's a number of tokens for what they call the wretched, which are the victims of Jack, which were prostitutes or, or whatnot, ladies of the night. And then there's a bunch of little uh, plastic transparent tokens, which are used for clues throughout the game. There's various various other tokens as well. But that's essentially it. There's not a, a huge amount of additional things. Um, each player, I think, gets like a little reference card which just helps them keep track of things. There's some additional items. We were playing the main game. Um, when you look through the rules, there's some optional stuff for uh, additional things you can do, like letters that I think Jack was writing to the uh, the police at the time, and you can incorporate that into the game as well. Now, the big thing with this one, it takes, all, takes place all in London, and so the board is a big map of London at the time, and it's littered with uh, numbers all through it, um, spaces with numbers, um, dotted lines to show the different streets you can go down, and um, little black squares um, as well. So you have black squares and, and, and numbered circles all over the board. So it's a bit busy, but I don't think it ever was 
at the point where you found that you couldn't find what you're looking for? It, yeah, the numbers seem to be laid out uh, yeah. quite logically. Now, I, I know it, it kind of borrows uh, an, an, uh, that element from um, an, an older Milton Bradley game, Scotland Yard, yeah. but um, it, it was a lot easier to find locations uh, based on the numbers in this than it was with Scotland Yard. Yes, yeah, definitely. absolutely. Yeah, um, we we did take a look at Scotland Yard just because we had a copy of it here and we were curious. Um, obviously, it's a game geared, you know, made in the '80s, geared towards a younger audience, so it's nowhere near the uh, in-depth play um, playthrough that this game has. And the one one th- issue I had with this board was the the black squares, which were the police, the detectives moved along. Right. I don't know if it was a mistake in the layout of the game or not but there was one black square on the right side of the board that was a pointless spot for the police to go to it didn't interact with any of the numbers that jack could have been on yeah uh, so we'll get to that when we um, i'm going to go through the, the gameplay right now and um as i describe this gameplay um this will uh become apparent so how this game works is um it takes place over four nights and the, like we said, the board has a, a number of dotted lines representing all the different streets. Along these streets are black squares and the, and the numbered circles. And there are a few numbered circles that are in red. And these are the starting points for the wretched. Um, so at, every night, Jack has a number of tokens. Uh, there are these white wooden circular uh, tokens that five of them have a red dot on them to indicate they're part of the wretched and then there's a few additional ones that have nothing they're just double-sided white and nothing on them and so what jack has to do if i look at the order of a sequence here actually it'll help with uh, describing this um jack has to prepare the scene so he takes all these numbered or all these um white tokens face down he can uh, know this up to person up to the person playing jack he can either do it randomly or he can try to be methodic on where he places everybody. But he's going to place one of these circles on each of these red numbered spots to uh, indicate um, where all the different ladies of the night are. Um, once he's done that, let's see, he prepares the scene. Then uh, the targets are identified. Okay, well, the first thing he does, uh, preparing the scene, this is going in order, um, he collects special movement tokens. So Jack has at his disposal depending on the night of the uh that it's taking place a number of coach tokens and alley tokens and i'll explain what those do later he gets the number that he needs for that night then the targets are identified this is where he takes the white circles um, places them all over the board five of which are marked and then three are not for the first night and then he um then the police once he's done that the police put their patrols out so there's five Tokens and it's always used. You use all five police tokens regardless of the number of players. So if it's two players, one person's Jack, the other person is playing all five cops. The police have their own circles, their black circles, which a color there's one for each color of uh, police officer. So there's five different colors, plus a couple extra which are false patrols. And so he'll t- the police chief at that for that round, and that changes every uh, night, will take those markers place them down on certain squares that have a yellow ring around them or a yellow outline of them so there's like um i think there's several uh black squares with yellow around them and that's where you place all the patrols so jack won't know 
which patrol at first is an actual police patrol or one of these false patrols. And then after, uh, after the police patrols are laid out, we reveal all the wretched. So all the wretcheds are flipped up. Any that aren't the red marked ones are taking off the board. And then the red marked ones are replaced with pawns to represent the wretched. They are these little white pawns which represent each woman. And then Jack has to decide. There's a few, um, make the choice of when he's going to kill. And the game is designed in such that along the bottom of the board is a track. And it starts out, it has, it goes in two directions. In one direction, it goes from 1 to 15. In the other direction, is like a yellow bit, and it goes from 1 to 5. And what happens is, the one, one of the jack tokens starts on the 1 on the second smaller section. And Jack has to decide within 5 turns when he's going to kill one of the wretched. Now, while he's making that decision, if he doesn't kill someone the first night, then the police get to start moving the wretched around um, maybe closer to one of their patrols and the wretched move from numbered circle to numbered circle uh, and the police they move from uh, black square to black square so that's the difference in the movement the police don't really move during this it's just the wretched moving the police don't come into action really until jack makes his play and so once uh and jack has to make his play with it by the time it hits five we're on on the very fifth marker once it hits that five, Jack, Jack has no choice. He has to kill one of the wretched. So as soon as he chooses which one he kills, uh, Jack takes one of the plastic red circles and sticks it on the numbered square where that wretched was. And that's the crime scene. So that's we know. Now we're going. And then Jack has, from that moment on the time track, whenever he makes that kill, till the 15 on the other end of the track to get back to his secret lair. Now what I didn't mention is Jack has a screen which he uses to help keep um, people from seeing his... He has like a little um, paper booklet that has... Uh, along the, uh, the column is the, the night, and then along the, um, the row is the, uh, the number that corresponds to the track where the, uh, the token is on the board. And, and also there's one spot where Jack writes down his uh, base of operations. So at the beginning of the game, he's, game, he's chosen where he, his base is. And he has to get back to his base after he's made a kill, but before the uh, track gets to 15. And so once uh, he makes his kill, you, you put the crime scene on the board, and then Drac writes down the, uh, the crime scene number on his first, um, on the corresponding square on, on his uh, little pad of paper. And then from there, he's plotting out his movement. And basically, Jack moves one at a time, one square from a time. And he's Jack is also moving along this, the circled squares. So he moves along circled squares, circled squares, circled numbers, sorry. Jack moves along the circled numbers, whereas the police are moving along the, the black squares. He has a couple additional uh, movement tokens in, that he can use for in his favor. He has the coach marker. And what happens is when he plays a coach marker, he gets to move up to two um, circles away from where he currently is. And then um, he puts a little corresponding marker on the track to show he's used one. Uh, for the very first night, he, he starts out with three coach and two alley markers. And what the alley markers, the difference between the coach and the alley is the alley lets you jump through a section of uh, buildings to a numbered circle on the other side. So how the grid works out, you have all these roads that sort of go all over the board, um, but you know all these roads tend to circle little neighborhoods, little small neighborhoods, and you'll ha usually have 
you know, depending on the size of the neighborhood, a neighborhood could be circled by as many as four or five numbers, numbered circles, or as few as one or two if it's a really small neighborhood. And an alley allows Jack to jump across one of these neighborhoods without having to, you know, go around the circles. One so, thing just to yeah. uh, you didn't mention with the carriages is Jack normally can't move through a detective, but the carriage allows him to move through detectives at the same time where that's right. Not normally he couldn't. Yeah, and so if Jack and that's one of the things of the game. If Jack ever finds that he can't make a legal move, either he's used up all his tokens or whatever and he's trapped, then the game's over. Jack loses. Um, but yes, the coaches allow him to move through people so he doesn't have to worry about that. And it's just a, a cat and mouse game from there on. The, um, the police are looking for clues. So what happens is the police will move from square to square. And then what they can do is when they get to a square, they have two options. They can either look for clues. And what that means is any numbered circles that are directly adjacent to that square and don't pass through another square. So they have to be like right next to that squares that uh, you can draw a straight line to that circle without passing through another square a police officer can go i'm checking this number for clues and jack will say yes or no that there's a clue there if you if there is a clue there you put a yellow um transparent disc on that number and that officer's turn is over if they don't find a clue then they go to the next numbered circle that's right adjacent and say i'm looking for a clue here so the police officer police officer can look at all the different numbered circles that are right by him up to three, right? Um, well, it's not really limited. It, it all depends on the cer- situation you're in, like where you're located. Oh, okay. So if there if there could be four that are directly adjacent to you, you can look up all four. But uh, the other option that a cop has or one of the patrols has is they can say, I'm making an arrest. And so what they say is, I'm making an arrest at 33, so or whatever numbered circle is right next to them. And if Jack happens to be there, then they've caught Jack and, you, and they've won. Um, if not, then nothing happens. No clue is put there because you're not looking for a clue. You're just making an arrest. You're arresting the wrong person, I guess. And this comes back to uh, Jeff's comment that with the map, there was one location where if you if a, one of the patrols moves to it, there is n- like no numbered circles next to it. Um, it might have just been a design flaw or something. Um, but yeah, if you go from one side to one route to the other in this one particular corner there's nothing you can do you just sort of move there and do nothing um there are other locations that may not have many options like there's like right even right below that one there's uh the next location has one number beside it but still it has something beside it so it's just a bit odd it's almost like it wasn't needed they could have maybe redrawn it a little differently i don't know if it was on purpose or not but we just found it a bit weird yeah, so the, the cops are looking for Jack. Jack's trying to get back to his hideout. The only limitations on Jack um, when using those uh, tokens to move around is he can't use the token to get back into his hideout. So he has to move on to his numbered circle uh, through a normal, regular movement, and then he announces that I'm in for the night or something like that just to let them know that he's made it home. And then you go on to the next night. Um, each night is essentially the same. Uh, what happened, what's a little different, um, after that first night... Um, once Jack makes it home, all the police officers are stuck where they are. Like, you, you just sort of leave them on the board. And when you're setting up for the next night, um, whoever is the sort of the commander of the police for that night takes all the, the black circles, and he has to put a black circle where, where a police off patrol is for each, uh, for each one. But then he can take, like, the false patrols. He can mix them up. He doesn't have to put a police officer back exactly where they were. 
but um, he has to put a, a token at each one, and then he takes a couple other tokens and has to put them at the one of the black, um, yellow uh, encircled um, squares at the start. And then game three play basically starts over again with Jack, you know, revealing where the wretched are, choosing when to kill, and then the hunt begins again. And each night is essentially the same except for the third night where Jack has to um, kill two ladies. And Jack's, um, the, the hunt for Jack doesn't start until he's killed the second one. So he writes down the location of the first one. Well, he doesn't even have to write down the location of the first one. He just has to place a, um, a marker for the first one. And it's the second one um, that really starts off the, the hunt. And that's his starting spot for, the, uh, for that night. And then if it gets to the end of the fourth night and Jack is able to make it home, then Jack wins the game. But otherwise, you know, as soon as the, the police are able to arrest Jack or um, make it so that it has no more options, uh, that's essentially how they win. I think that's essentially it. I don't think I've Yeah, too it's much. pretty basic uh, hidden movement. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's fairly straightforward. Um, it takes a little bit when you're looking through the rules. You're like, okay, well, I don't under- quite understand this, this whole... Um, different parts like the first part's called hell and that's where jack's deciding when and who he's going to kill and then once he's done that then the second part becomes hunting um so the rules even though you know it's it, they're fairly well laid out they don't they're not always the clearest but once you're familiar bad. they're pretty simple like you, yeah you'll yeah you'll know you won't need to reference the rule book after like one playthrough most likely right yeah now we only really gave this one one playthrough and it was a bit late when we started playing it but i did find that this game even from the get-go, was a lot more tense. You know, yes. there's a lot more... Uh, I was playing Jack in this one, and man, <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. You guys were just, like, finding me, like, finding my trail fairly quickly. I was like, holy, holy man, I gotta run. <laughs> I gotta get back to my base, and it's just, ugh. Yeah, the, I, th- I think the, the tension was there on the other side of the table as well. You know, knowing that you have, um, you know, a, a limited number of moves to get back to your hideout... Yeah. But at the same time, this this map is so big, and being able to first catch up to your trail, and then try to get ahead of it, essentially, mm-hmm. try to get get you know far enough ahead of your trail that you can actually perform that arrest before you get back to your hideout. Yeah, the the pressure is is huge on the other side too. Like I really felt yeah. that tension throughout the game. Yeah, and the way it went, um, like you were finding my trail pretty quickly in that first night, and. Be, just using standard logic, you're saying, okay, well, he's here. He can only go so many spaces, and and some, you know, sometimes there's not a lot of options, you know, depending on where you happen to find that trail, where I could have gone. So you were on my, as soon as you found my trail, you were pretty much on my trail the whole time. And I used coaches, and I was using alleys to try to, you know, shake you off a bit. But it didn't take you long to re-pick up the trail, and like it got to the point where I was, I was like right near my hideout. I'm like, well, what do I try to? drag this on any longer to try to you know yeah you risk being arrested or giving away that we were close to your yeah, hideout yeah or just run right into my hideout and then hope for the best in the next few nights and so I ran right from my hideout I went in and of course you you guys all start close you know fairly close to where my hideout was so you had a, a general idea of where my hideout was like what area mm-hmm. of the board it was you knew okay within this few block radius that's got to be where his hideout is and oh that was just oh so rough <laughs> yeah i i think there's uh, i think it's difficult on on the jack side um this is you know again this is me observing it from from having played one of the investigators you know you've you've got these locations where essentially the the murders can occur you know or at least where where the wretched start 
And yeah. so, you know, it's going to be very close to that. And wherever you select your hideout, it's the same hideout every night. And right. there there are, you know, there's likely going to be one of those murders, at least one of them, is going to occur relatively close to your hideout. And so Jack has this this challenge of, you know, yeah, you could absolutely make a run for it that first night. Or, or sorry, during that night and, and just get back to your hideout. But it's such a huge giveaway that, you know, your hideout's in that area. Right. So you have to lead the investigators on this sort of chase, you know, to try to lead them away from your hideout so yeah, you can get hope, back to hope it. they find your trail while you're kind of yeah. leaving a false trail and cutting back the other way. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, you know, there there's a limited number of moves. You can't go too far. So it's yeah it's I th- I think it it really seemed that it was very challenging for for Jack to to do that to lead you on some you know goose chase but then get back to your hideout before you run out of moves. Yeah. And there was one night where I was um you know I did a little bit of a backtrack just to try to throw you off in which direction I was going. And I think what helped me with one night was um, you made, uh, I think it was. Uh, yeah, Jeff we made, made a the, critical mistake. A little in logic. bit of a mistake on where I could have been, just because um, he forgot exactly where he started that night. Um, he was, he thought he was what, one numbered circle, and I couldn't get through him, but where he was actually a, a circle or a square over, and I was able to get to a numbered circle he didn't think I could get to, and that gave me a bit of an edge that one night, made it a little bit easier for me, not overly easy, but. But I think at that down. point, uh, Drew and I had basically brought it down to two circles that we thought your hideout yeah, were in. yeah so we were kind of that was more of a let's see if we can arrest him but we were we knew where we were going yeah 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 you knew where i was going to end up and that made a big difference but yeah overall though yeah this game it was tense um on the last night you know it was getting kind of late too so i <laughs> the last night i i did definitely choose someone who was closer to my base to kill and then try to get back to my base and it was just a matter of okay well i gotta hope that they're you know thinking i'm in one other square than i'm actually in and it just came down to i'm in one square i'm like okay all depends what happens here and then drew goes right next to where i was and said okay i'm making an arrest at this circle i was like no that's where i was so you got me but it was the whole game it was just edge of my seat yeah Yeah, that was very tense tense yeah um so yeah now if we go to comparing the two games um that's really what I felt was missing from Fury of Dracula. There was no point where I was on the edge of my seat saying, oh my, I'm so close. Yeah, it was almost, it, in Whitechapel, there's tenseness and excitement on both sides. In yeah. Fury of Dracula, there's a sense of hopelessness as the hunters. <laughs> it really yeah. is this sense of, yeah, Dracula's one, we're just going through the motions. Which, I mean, maybe they're going for that feel slightly, because it wasn't that bad if you can eliminate the water movement aspect of it in some way, like mitigate it. Right. Well, the other thing I found in, in uh, Fury Dracula, the, the, there, there's a lot more component to the game. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there there were times as as the hunter where I, where I felt like I, I didn't really have anything to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like if if you are not moving, you know, oh, okay, I guess I'll I'll supply, but I, you know, I've already reached my hand limits, so I'm You're supplying, looking for something better, you know, and, and so there there were a few, well, especially when when Jeff was uh, was dragging me through some roadblocks, right? I think you know, it trapped you in me Amsterdam from moving for like three turns or something. Right? Uh, what was it? Was two? I got yeah, I got trapped there for two, and you know. So if if all I can do during this turn is is supply again, you know. Yeah, yeah, and um, and Mina's ability really hinges on her being in the same location as somebody, yep. and 
when you're if you're spending a lot of time with someone else in the same location, you're you're Your not out failing. there. Yeah. yeah, you're not casting a, a wider net. Yeah, so you're really so, limiting yourself. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of that, and and I think you know letters letters from Whitechapel. You know, it's it becomes a lot simpler. We don't, you know, I'm not worrying about items. I'm not worrying about right. You know, event cards or encounter cards. It is it is you know just simply you know moving and uh, and searching for clues and you know essentially using you know, deduction to locate that trail and then, like I said, try to get ahead of it. So to that end, it, it seems a lot simpler, but at the same time, yeah, a lot more tense. But then right. there is the design feature in Whitechapel where you look for clues. You can find a clue in a spot, mm-hmm. but Jack can backtrack to that spot, and you'll never know if he went back yeah. to that spot. And it, yeah. that might be a design feature. It would make it more difficult. But in Fury of Dracula, you know he can't have come back if he, no if he leaves paris yeah. he can't come back to paris until paris has left his location track so he's right. not coming he's not moving back and forth between two cities so it's more of a trail where in fear in whitechapel you just once you have a clue he's not going to drop another clue for you so you can't figure out if he's coming back around to something right and there was yeah. a time where i circled back on myself a little bit and reused a few locations so that i could you know give myself a little bit of extra time but I don't necessarily see it as a. It might not be a negative. I'm not necessarily. I'm kind of making it sound negative. It it definitely yeah. makes it more challenging. Yeah, definitely more challenging. And I, yeah, and I didn't think it to, uh, really took away anything at all. It, it didn't um, make it insurmountable. No, like um, you know, the, and there's that thing with um, that sort of common between both. Was it common between both where... I know with... Or am I thinking of something else? I could even be thinking of Scotland Yard for some reason. But um, uh, in Letters of Whitechapel, you use the uh, the coach and you can move two spaces and pass through. You have to write down on your mat both spaces you're going through. But you write down... You go through two spaces and it helps you... And it really widens out where you could go from there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't... Was there anything like that in... Fury of Dracula? No, Maybe not. Not really, because Dracula's no. already moving twice the speed as yeah. the yeah. Yeah, he's, hunters. He's moving both day and night. It could very well be um, Scotland Yard when we did a little playthrough of that. That I, I it was yeah, there was, they had that they had a double move in Scotland. They had a Yard. double move in Scotland Yard, so that might be yeah, what I was right. thinking of. I might be, I've been picking up on that. Um, but yeah, um, so really, that's yeah, that's the big thing. I, I, I really found Letters of Whitechapel to be the more enjoyable experience. I think I I still like I I will probably go back and and play Fury of Dracula some more. Yeah. Um, I want to find out if it's you know if it's worth hanging on for. Right. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of the discussion in the forums was you know was you know seemed to revolve around that. Like you just haven't played it enough. You just you know you really need to get a handle on you know maximizing the the um, you know the event cards and you need to maximize the abilities of the of the hunters and you really need to develop that strategy of uh you know casting that net and and mm-hmm. you know getting your mobility as fast as you can and um, you know on top of that i'd also like to see some of the advanced um, um components come in on, right. on the jack side so I'm, i will probably play that uh, a few more times to to see if uh if i really like that game but but you know i i don't think that i i have to feel that way about letters from Whitechapel. like there's right. i I'm, think i'm not experienced it already yeah and i'm yeah. not yeah, I don't have to, you know, go back to it. Well, let's play it a few more times to see if I, you know, does this make sense? Is this it? Like right out of the box, the first play that I that I've had of this game, and I hadn't played it before yeah. that first night. No, neither of us, none of us had. The yeah. tension was there, and it was. I mean, it it kind of melts your brain a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, trying to to catch that trail. But 
um, yeah, I, it was a very enjoyable experience. So I'm saying that then, um, would you find that with Letters of Whitechapel, it's a game that you want to play again? Like, okay, so it, you pretty much experienced everything out of the box, except for maybe some of the optional components. Is it a game that, yeah, I, I want to get back, that back to the table as quickly as possible? Or I do. I'd, I'd even like to, to try it from the, from the Jack side. Yeah. For me personally, I think one more playthrough for mm-hmm. me would be enough for that game. Really? And it yeah. would be, as Drew said, I'd want to try it from Jack's mm-hmm. perspective just sure. to experience the other side of the table. But uh, in all honesty, I'm not a huge hidden movement game fan, okay. like the the That's hunting fair. of someone yeah. else. Not that I didn't enjoy this game, yeah. but I don't see its longevity. Sure. And like Drew, Fury of Dracula, even though there was frustrating moments in it, I would want to play it more. I want to try and see if there's something in it that we've missed sure. that can yeah. develop it into a game that's competitive and mm-hmm. engaging. And it's it's kind of a different viewpoint, though. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can see it. Like Letters of Whitechapel, I, I want to play it again um, from both sides, sure, to try it out. There are a few things um, which they give you as optional rules in the game that you can also add into it to, to change it's things a, up a bit. A bit more playthroughs. A bit more playthroughs. Um, whereas with Fear of the Dracula, it's like, yeah, I want to play this game again because I want to see if it can be fixed or if it's if yeah. if, you yeah. know, if it's salvageable. Yeah, if it's which... really as broken as I as I my first impression is. Yeah. It's definitely not a, or... a playthrough again because it was completely enjoyable. You want yeah. it to be enjoyable. Yeah, you're and hoping that... you're looking for the enjoyment, so it's like yeah, okay. Because yeah, the, the the theme is there. I mean, yeah. it's it's a fantastic theme, and you see the mechanics. Yeah. You see what their intent was, yeah. but it, it's. You have to really. I think it will come down to house rules. Quite honestly, if you right. if you want to keep, I think playing it may. It. Yeah, but yeah. it really it it's a weird game in that it makes you want to play it just to see if you can make it work. Sure. Whereas Whitechapel, yeah. it works. It's intense. Yeah. It was a fun experience, but it yeah it kind doesn't of at, at inspire no point, me to keep playing it. Yeah. At, at no point during during Whitechapel did I did I think this this mechanic doesn't doesn't work right. This is. You know, yeah, it's very it's well too lopsided. It's right. too, you know, it's yeah. too cumbersome or or whatever. Like I think the only time we really had to even go searching the rules for anything was just to verify the you don't leave a second clue at yeah. a location, and mm-hmm. that took a little bit to try to find exactly where it talked about that, and it didn't talk about it specifically, but you did find reference that you don't leave a, a clue um, somewhere or whatever. Like you leave a clue, um, you know, you only leave a clue. You leave a clue at a location. You know, as long as it shows up on your track somewhere. So even if you went back to a location, it's the fact that that location's on your track. You only leave one clue. You don't leave it per time it shows up on your track. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was yeah. sort of it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess we just get on to um, to judgments here. Um, final judgment. Um, out of the two games, yeah, I, I get it. Um, Fury of Dracula. It would be. It has a great theme. Um, I, w- I do want it to work better. Um, Letters of Whitechapel um, still has a great theme as well, um, but it worked better out of the box and um, was you know was an intense experience and it really gets your brain burning. And so that's why I'm for me I'm picking Letters of Whitechapel as my perf- winner of this uh, of this duel. For me, uh, I I don't know. It, it's <laughs> it's tough. I. I think I have to give it to Whitechapel because of how well it was put together, how easy it was to learn, mm-hmm. the intensity of it right from the get-go. But if they can figure out something to make Dracula, the theme, the mood of it, like 
everything about it makes me want to play it more than Whitechapel. But for yeah. now, I have to go with Whitechapel because of the broken yeah. mechanics. Right. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to give it to Whitechapel as well. One, one curious thing that I, I, I really liked about the game was uh, was even the artwork. It's it's very muted. Um, you know, it's this very Victorian parchment kind of look to the to the board, but with the blood splatter. Yeah, you know, blood splatters and, here and there. Yeah, yeah. All the little like, notes. Actually, we didn't even talk yeah. about that in the graphic design. All over the board, all over the uh, the manual are all these facts and notes from the actual jack the ripper killings and, and cases yeah. and that was really interesting you didn't really take a lot of time to read through them but if but you're the interested there, yeah. in jack the ripper it's and, it's thematically there yeah. yeah and and they uh it's it's done in in red ink so it looks mm-hmm. like he's written in, in in blood yeah um and and they carried that theme through you know like from from the box through the manual uh to the board um so i i mean i, I really enjoyed that part of it but as well i what i yeah what i really liked about this was that it it seemed to work right out of the box you know, there there wasn't too much fiddliness to it. I didn't feel like anything was broken. Um, that tension was there. Um, I, I think possibly that would change over time if if somehow I find that there is a way to play Fury of Dracula that right. yeah. that everything works. Um, that the that the sea travel mechanic is you know is either broken and can be fixed or I, I've misunderstood it the whole time kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, just from the, the games that we played, uh, Letters from Whitechapel was was a, a more enjoyable experience. Okay, well, there you have it. Um, Letters of Whitechapel wins the duo, even though we really want Fear of Dracula to, to deserve to be yep. up there, to be the winner. Um, so there we go. The winner of this podcast is Letters from Whitechapel. Now we'll move on to our Imperial Assault segment, and Jeff is going to... Um, head this up so yeah fantasy flight is getting ready for their world championships here in north america so they've been pretty regular on releasing new articles this past few weeks yeah they didn't really get that yeah actually i i hope that i hope that trend continues regardless yeah because it it builds excitement for the game it really gives you an idea of what their development concept is what they're thinking with these things well and i want to see bun right more articles even if stuff new stuff's not coming out yeah i I would love for him to maybe even go back and and take a look at some of the uh previous release stuff start putting together some you know interesting armies and um and and then write some articles into you know new directions new thought processes well even for for those of us I, i i mean you and randall have have absolutely competed in in more tournaments than i have um, and, and of course, you know this. This last summer, I haven't made it out to our uh, our weekly skirmish night as much as you guys have. And and I, yeah, I mean, any articles that that you know can help me along, you know, keep a, you up to date. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So the the first one that released, uh, I think we should discuss is the new Luke, because I mean, uh, in our first podcast, people, if you've been listening to us, might recall I was a little hard on the, <laughs> on the Luke, new Luke that's coming out. The new yeah. Luke, yeah, I didn't feel he added much. And have you changed your mind? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, well, but but, but sorry, I didn't mean to skip to the end there. <laughs> <laughs> they they do try to make a a case for his value and. Okay. Uh, they they did change some stuff. They made it clear you can see his full card and his abilities. Right. Mm-hmm. So I believe the last time we discussed this, his heroic ability was 
he could at the beginning of his activation make an extra attack or something. We couldn't quite it was clearly hard to read see because it. we were just yeah. really guessing. Yeah. yeah, but now we see that he can make an extra attack during any point during his activation. So, not really an extra attack, just an attack. An attack, yeah. exactly. So it makes him more versatile. He can do more damage. I still don't like that he's limited to just melee. Like he right. d- he can't even throw his lightsaber. Which I mean, we never really see him do that in the movie anyway. No, so yeah. it's not it's not like they're missing something thematically. It's just it's a little frustrating when he goes with the same attack dice as his previous self, right? Just with no ranged ability. Mm-hmm. So, what do you guys think of what they had to say about Luke here? Um, well, with the heroic, it um, it was really interesting, and they even give you an example of it in there where Luke can move twice and then attack. So, yeah, he's he's not as fast as he was when he was younger. I guess he's getting older and he's slowing down a little bit. But he has the speed four. Um, but then, really, he can move eight and then attack. You could use um, other cards to help boost his speed a little bit. You know, like with an urgency. Mm-hmm. Then you're looking at he can move up to ten, do an attack. And then you combine him again with um, Son of Skywalker, because he's Luke Skywalker. You can still use that card. You... Move in, you know, you can move 10, you know, if, if you can get up to 10, even 8. 8 movement and doing an attack is better than, you know, trying to hope that you can get 8 range on a shot. Um, so you go 8 movement, attack, Son of Skywalker, reactivate him to attack again, and then get him out of there. Could really make him quite the, the you know, um... I don't know, a uh, powerhouse out there. Like, it could really make a big difference. I yeah, and this is why we need to see him on a table yeah, before I do. pass final judgment. Because there's yeah. definite strengths to his, his heroic ability. Right. But we're talking about moving him with his movement four into a position potentially where he's not going to be supported by the rest of your group if you True. do that. Yeah. And well, they're, well they're, he, they've upped his health to 16. Yes, so, they really upped his health. But they've taken away his surges. But he, his recover two is gone. Mm-hmm. He only has a surge for plus one health and pierce three. Yep. And he's also lost his innate defense in in yes. place for a plus surge defense, but and, and an additional wound as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't. I still don't feel he's as tough as his former self, even with the sixteen health, just no, because I, of the recover two. I agree with you there. I, I think they've they've sacrificed some of that for 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 more mobility. You know that that perception of him, you know, leaping around all over the place, doing right. flips, and so you know, you, you know, even if you're not, you know, trying to close that that huge distance, you know, maybe moving in, performing your attack, and then moving back, right. you know, out of you know out of reach, depending if you know if, if you if you're up against some you know slow melee, yeah. you know, get in, get your attack, and move back, force them to come to you, right? Yeah, because you know you may not be moving five, you're moving four. Um, but again, if you're if you're with the rest of your squad and you sort of run out, do an attack and run back, it, it can make a difference too. Also, you know, yeah, if you're sort of even if you do run him out the full eight and and he's sort of sitting out there, you're really going to time when you're going to do that carefully. You would think is mm-hmm. you really want to have your son of Skywalker in your hand. Well, and you have to consider now though with what they've released since yeah. Bespin, your son of Skywalker isn't necessarily going to get. True, because go. there's a, especially if it's a, if you're going against a spy deck, yeah, they, they can cancel all they the cards. They can cancel Luke's, yeah. and before he never had that worry. True. Now they've also given him, and the reason I think they've given him the surge defense mm-hmm. is because of the number of units that have come out where they can surge to negate dodge. 
Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think that is their attempt to mitigate how much they've been bringing out that attack versus white die defense. Right. But if, because he loses recover two, with also losing that innate block of a damage mm-hmm. every attack, I I just don't think that sixteen health is enough to compensate. Well, it, it, if he makes if you do make a mistake with him, it, it, that first one likely won't be fatal. It won't be fatal. No, but. You're you're absolutely right. I think it it definitely makes him um, a bit more vulnerable. Right, and they also um, I see you're saying um, we're looking at his article here. They also released that motivation. Yep, and that's a good card. It's usable for every faction, and it's a one point upgrade for a unique figure. So it allows you to exhaust that card to choose a friendly figure with a lower figure cost than you. And they can discard a harmful re- condition and recover a wound. Or and then, recover. Oh, sorry. Or recover wound. Thank you. Right, right, right. And then they gain one movement point. So it's a it's a bit of an assist. Mm-hmm. I, I would find that useful on like something around like Leia's point cost, I think. Right. Yeah. Six to eight points. But it's a useful card, but I, I don't see it fitting into a competitive list that yeah. often yet. I don't know if it's like... For, yeah, it, it's like very specialized. Some, especially with some of the other cards out there. Yeah, it may not get as much play. Well, and you know, I'm possibly seeing... if you were going up against Dangar. Yeah. You know, somebody who, who loves good. to throw out those harmful, harmful conditions. conditions. But but otherwise... I'm you know, starting other to see that... less harmful conditions out there, yeah. though. Like, people are instead... If you're a mercenary, he used to be the king of giving bleeds and weakens mm-hmm. and stuff. Those right. conditions that mattered. They are now using strain instead. Mm-hmm. So you're not seeing that harmful condition. Recovering a wound is still good oh yeah yep yep but and, and the additional movement point is is nice you can get someone out but of a jam I, I, there i just don't know if you know i i think there's there's potentially a better way to spend that one point same yeah, yeah. okay so then we go on to the three command cards that they are putting in with him and one is the positioning advantage so any figure can use this while attacking to apply plus one wound to an attack result. And it's a zero-point card. Yeah, yeah, I like that for zero points. It's a good zero-point card. It's, yeah. it's starting to enter a, a field of cards, though, that I feel are pretty competitive for what's going in there at zero points. Yeah. Yep. So I'm still not sure it'll make it in. I like it. I like to try it to know for sure. But I'm not sure it's good enough to make it into a regular And you're, only, you're limited to one of them. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, out of fifteen cards, you get one card that's going to give you plus one damage. It's like, but mm. the advantages it has is it is a use while attacking. Right. You can declare it that point in the attack when you know I'm going to defeat or not defeat this guy by yes. one wound. Yeah. So it does that's have true. that advantage. Yeah. And then there's parry. It's usable by brawlers or guardians. So it's used while defending to apply plus one defense to the defense result. Again, can be used at any point during the defense mm-hmm. after you've seen the results essentially right so again zero point card and only one of them only one of them and again it, it's it, I, I don't like it as much as positioning advantage right. i think there's better cards again out there mm-hmm. but it, it could find its way into a brawler guardian type sure. deck yeah and it's like and then the last one is that blitz one and it's like they're releasing three cards that each give you one thing. Yes, you know? <laughs> but this one costs a point. Yeah, this one actually costs it, a point. This one blitz is usable again by any figure. Yeah, and this, this one's out of the three. I think the potentially the the most valuable because yeah, it adds plus one surge. 
Yeah, and which, we get so many units out there, which, you know, if they're running, rolling a lot of red dice or whatever, they're not getting any surges, you can throw well, one of those in there. I can think of a few people who would... Uh, interrogator guy yeah. what's sorry grand inquisitor uh, oh grand inquisitor the grand inquisitor would benefit from this because he well in my experience with him yeah <laughs> he is so hard to get his surges off to make him yep. really shine right. so I mean, at least for one attack you're looking at getting off his deadly so that you get rid of a dodge or right. something like that yeah and there's a few others that would benefit greatly because they get their guaranteed to get their special abilities off say like davith who mm-hmm. starts with a surge if he's hidden? You get to you add a surge to your attack if you didn't somehow didn't some roll any did not roll with him. Yellow, yeah. yeah then, then you're guaranteed to do his second attack. So it, it yeah. it's a little boost for one point. Again, it's it's a tough decision with this one for me. Right? Yeah. When it especially comes to those one point cards, it's like you're really getting when you're building your deck. You're really getting down to okay, what can I keep and what has to go right? Yeah. And like no one's going to trade out negation. I don't think for this no, card. No. no. Absolutely not. So that that's that's the new Luke pack that we can see. I yeah. mean, it's definitely something I'm gonna get. It's oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, I'll try Luke. I doubt I'll keep Luke as a regular appearance in my thing. And most of the cards will be questionable whether they make a permanent appearance in so my play decks or not. But so you're still young Luke. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a fan I'm of young Luke because well, as Randall said, uh, that eight range shot with him. Mm-hmm. Can be difficult, but you, you, you're playing with Gideon and three PO. He's focused. That eight range shot all of a sudden becomes a fairly easy shot with Luke, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to safety where no one can hit you. Yeah. And if they do, you all your next shot, you recover it too. So true. So okay. that's Luke, and then we'll go on to their other new troop type for the Rebels before we look at their World Championship announcement. And these are the Alliance Rangers. So they're a regular. Nine point cost, so three point per figure because you get three with a group. Right. They get an innate plus one accuracy. They can surge for plus two wounds, another surge for pierce one, and a third surge for plus two accuracy. They get the skill gorilla. So after you resolve an attack, if the defender was defeated, you become hidden. And then sniper, which is while attacking, if the target's if your target is five or more spaces away from you, you may re-roll one attack die. Yeah. yeah. So they have five health, four speed. They use the black defense. And this is the part that makes me iffy on them is they roll two blue two attack blue. dice. For yeah. Now, these guys have a tremendous range. Right. With their plus one accuracy and two blue dice. They're yeah. minimum of five. Yeah. Unless you're shooting against someone hidden or like an alliance smuggler who has that innate minus two accuracy yeah, stuff but yeah. five range it's it sounds good but then you you look at the blue dice and what they can do for surges and defense and for yeah. attack for wounds it's just it seems low it does it does um i do like the look of them like them um, overall they do look like a nice a nice trooper but like you said um having a, the chances of the surge are lower you really I guess this is where that blitz can come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, guaranteeing them a surge so that you can, you know, increase your chance of, of range up to, you know, seven at the minimum. Um, and, you know, the chances of you rolling higher than that are are fairly good with blue, which is nice. And they're, they are a trooper. I mean, I can't be too down on them. They're, yeah, they're a no. trooper. You can't complain about a blue-blue when most of them get blue-green. Yeah. And true. these guys are going to be a lot further from the front, so they're taking damage less frequently and you get that reroll you know as long as you're five or more away 
um, you got that reroll, so you have a better chance. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, they that, do look nice. And that improves in the uh, the elite version. Yeah. You get to reroll up to two attack dice. Yeah, for like three more points. And for some reason, it's not letting me see my... Uh, and territory. and they get additional health. Yeah, so they're, they're up to seven points. And their innate uh, ability goes pierce. up from plus one accuracy to plus one accuracy and pierce one. Yeah. So they're defeating defense on people. And an extra two health. I I don't know if... The, I like that it's a choice here. The nine points for the regulars and seems like it'll yeah. be okay. Twelve points for the elite. It's a question of... Do you have it? Not is it worth it? I right. think. Yeah, yeah. And it is definitely a good choice because there's there's a lot to like with the uh, with the elite because you can reroll up to two attack dice. So you know you have two chances of getting sort of the results you want. Yeah. And it's still it's not going to be a lot of damage. No. But it's it well, makes it, it your opponent question: Do you triangle after these guys yeah. to prevent that two points of damage per turn kind of thing? Or do you focus on something up front that may be closer? Right. Well, the accuracy accuracy surge moves up to, to plus three as, as well, well instead yeah. of plus two. Um, so I, I think depending on how you how you play these, if you you know if you have this this great range where you're you're punching people's tickets from across the board, um, you know I, I think you just really need to focus on keeping them held back, keeping them out of that frame. Yeah. And what do you guys think about? Uh, I mean. The prospect of keeping, say, Gideon and 3PO back with them after, because right. I mean, 3PO can't keep up with your heroes once no. they're engaged. Right. You if want you, him back if where you keep people them are... back and focus these guys, yeah, then you're, you know, improving your range, you're improving your chances of surges and damage too. Like these guys, I would take these guys over the um, HKs. I think so. Like I, I, I like them. Um, yeah, but potentially their their one weakness that way is is lo- uh, line of sight, but. Maybe not. Maybe right? not. Yeah, the, it depends. You have to be very careful with their positioning because yeah. they yes. do not get the shoot through friendlies. Yeah, so no, they don't. Yeah, they're not really a true sniper. They're just a long distance yeah. shot. But, but in, they still they intrigue me because I also yeah. see. Um, I believe it's Finn who allows troopers to gain an extra shot. Yeah, I think it's Fen. Yeah. If you keep Fen back with these guys, he has a decent enough shot from range that he... I mean, that's six shots from this group. Yeah. And it's not a lot of damage, but it's six shots. I mean, yeah. I, I see some combinations I'd like to try that makes me very interested in this troop choice. No, I'm really interested in, in checking them out. I'm looking yeah. forward to them, yeah, for sure. So then they also come with an upgrade card for one point. It's Survivalist. Again, usable by any faction. And this one is for Hunters or Troopers. Yeah, I really like this card. you ignore additional movement point costs for difficult terrain and hostile figures. Yeah. At the end of each round, if you are in an exterior space, you recover one wound. Yeah. Now this, compared to the one that they put put out with Luke, this one here is, like, I was immediately one point. This is an excellent troop. Mm Mm-hmm addition yeah absolutely now the only i know the limiting factor is you have to be in an exterior space and if you look at the current three um maps um one of them is totally inside but the other two do have exterior spaces so you really yeah, want to have your positioning that the layer right. maps a fairly small exterior space is it not no no the layer map is Nelvanian 
uh, war zone, right? And that's yeah, it's mostly Arctic. outside, uh, except for you get to the one terminal area. That's the oh, is it one. just the one terminal area that's inside? Yeah, there? one terminal area, and I think a little bit out from it is the internal stuff or yeah. the internal space. I, I think that's one thing I was questioning with this card was yeah. what is considered exterior. I think they'll have to make it a little clearer on their map tiles. Right. I mean, there's some like Bespin, you, you can tell this is an interior spot or an exterior spot right. just from walls and stuff but yeah an isb headquarters it's you can see it it's it's totally interior um but then the other one which is the coruscant landfill there's one side of the map that does start out exterior so so yeah it'll have its uses it definitely intrigued me more than the luke one yeah absolutely I and then like they it. come with two new command cards as well one's called heightened reflexes for hunters and it's a two-point cost card. You use while attacking a figure. You choose one defense die and remove its results from the defense result. Yeah, it's that, not even if it's been rerolled. Now, it's just you choose a die and it's gone. Yeah, th- this is that a, can a be lovely very game-changing. Yeah. Yep. And I, I don't even see it. This is a lovely card for mercenaries. It's coming oh, totally. with rebels, but I see it as completely scum lists. will love this card. Well, yes. and it's, it's hunter-specific. Yeah, yeah, these guys are hunters. But the mercenaries are all hunters. <laughs> like almost everything. Everything, is yeah, almost yeah. everything in the scum list is hunters. And yeah, you combine this like I don't know how many times I've used the element of surprise. I believe it is where you, right. if you start off not seeing your target, your that you remove their defense die, and then have like your rebel opponent bring out the add an extra white die to their defense. Yeah, yeah. So this is an excellent counter to that. It's also good for oh, so many different people. It's mm-hmm. like. You remove one of Darth Vader's black dice with an yeah. HK shot, say, and make them re-roll the other one, and you can remove that one with mm-hmm. like tough luck. tough luck or something like right. that. It, it combines well with certain other command cards, really well. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have Call of Call the Vanguard. It use at the start of a round. A friendly trooper with a figure cost of four or greater may interrupt to perform a move and an attack. It's a two point card again when you can only have one in your command deck. But what do you guys think of um, a four or greater? It's it's targeted yeah, this, specifically to your more expensive troops. Yeah, yeah. This, this is this is related to the um, elite version of of the troopers. Of sure. the troopers, yeah. And it also sort of <clears throat> mitigates a little bit of not having initiative. Yes. So like, yeah, this is like, yeah, take initiative is one. Sure, it's a zero point. It's easy to negate. It's it's you know it's one you're always wondering. But this is a two point card where if you don't have initiative. At least you can get somebody to activate first. Well, you, you can expose somebody at the end of the round and know that at the beginning of the next round, you can immediately attack and move yep. away with them. So right. it yeah, can be somebody off. Yeah, it can catch yeah, an opponent by surprise. Yeah. yeah, So it's almost like a take initiative because you're activating something first and then it's going back to the person who has initiative. So Of course, it's two points it's compared two points to take zero. initiative zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're not but it's taking a... Well, and you're not taking away an activation for this like take an initiative you have to give up a activation to take that initiative so that's true they're interrupting to perform an attack they still get a chance to go yeah mm-hmm. so they're getting an attack and a move and, and a move they will still get their activation if they're still alive yeah so that's that's huge for uh, for two points and i would expect it, it it's just a matter of what four point troops are you going to put this on well, it, it doesn't. It's, it has to be a friendly trooper, yeah. But um, well, we already know the elite of these ones are four points. Who else is uh, Echo Base? Echo Base, or yeah. Off the top of my head, there's Echo Base and um, well, trying, well, they're not, no, no, I'm did, trying to think who who's is a, a trooper. Uh, yeah, I was also I was going to say HKs, but they're hunters. Nope, they're not, purely they're hunters, they're hunters, not hunters and droids. 
the wing guard, I guess. What, uh, what no, the, they're three. The elite wing guard are three? Yeah. Okay. Well, a couple that they, they do mention in here is uh, the E-Webs. E-Web engineer and, yep. and Kane Somos. Oh, and, and oh yeah, I that forgot is, Kane. Kane. Is, uh, that is devastating yeah. with yeah, Kane. Kane's a trooper. We're totally, we're totally thinking of like rebels and mercenaries. I've been thinking about Imperials. Okay. Yeah. yeah, as a fault of playing mostly rebels, <laughs> yeah. personally. Is and I, I could just Kane. see myself just being absolutely destroyed by an E-Web. Yeah, you know when this thing fires off, but will it E-Web make will people? Get to go again. Will it make people take E-Web? So I, I uh, haven't seen an E-Web since well, well, for a year or so. Yeah, and the problem is that they get to perform a move. Well, an E-Web can't move and attack because it just yeah. it's just limitation of being an E-Web. But still, yeah. interrupting to perform an attack and then getting to attack again afterwards, as long as it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what we got to see um, for new cards. Or did something else? Did you miss mitigate? Um, oh. oh no, that yes, I did miss mitigate because I, I didn't have it listed right there. Yeah, I was just cycling through the cards. Uh, yeah, it's a good catch. Yeah. So this one, let's see, it's a zero point cost when yeah. anyone can use it, and you use while attacking to re-roll an attack dice. So uh, again, there it seems like there's an effort to just add these basic zero point costs yeah, to zero mimic point abilities. Point cards. Yeah. So it it's useful. I, again, I don't know if it'll be in your competitive lists. You'll probably see it for the first little bit in your you know non-competitive games right. testing out. But I, I think it'll quickly be moved down yeah. into not competitive enough. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. So then for our world championships, they've announced prizes and they changed our maps again. Yeah, that's right. Un- unfortunately, they've done it again and made it so that the change in map meant you had to buy more of their products so yes now we're up to needing everything if you want to play in a competitive tournament up to bespin and you need to own the isb or sorry uh his name agent blaze i believe isb headquarters yes isb headquarters is the map and it's taking out the stormtroopers training ground not sorry to see that one go. Uh, yeah, that one. <laughs> I, I didn't. I never really liked that one. It was a tough one. It's just so weird with that door right in between the two start areas, and it's just it's all about either breaking through the door or going up and around. And I played it enough. It's just yeah, it's, it's good to have a change. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't like that they are again increasing the buy-in for it. Yeah, but I I, I like Bespin stuff. I think. At this point, if you want to be competitive, you have Bespin stuff anyways. Bespin was a strong yeah. set. So it was. I, it yeah. added up the hide. It added a lot of characters for Rebels. That, yeah. I mean, Davith is one of the better cost models right now. Yeah, I And the ISB agents changed things up for Imperials for their troops. Yeah, and Agent Blaze came out at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. So I, it's just a little frustrating that they make it such a high buy-in, but at the same time, you're not competitive without those, I don't think. So. No. But they have released also their prizing, which uh, they have metallic dice sets for the people who are participating, and they up look to sixteen actually up to up sixteen. Okay, yeah. And what was their card? I for some um, reason have the wrong one. Top here. Um, was it here? Top third. That's acrylic activation tokens. Participation. So everybody's going to get alt art Leia. So a new new her on her Leia. speeder. Is it? Uh, it must be that. That's what the picture they have here is. So I imagine that's what the card's going to look like. And then a few select people are going to be getting play mats, so a spot to place your cards. Your yeah, so every troopers. spot has like a, a ability to use for troopers, which is nice. And uh, was there tokens as well? Um, for well, activation tokens, I did see something about activation tokens. And is that for everybody or? 
Uh, winner, components. Oh, uh, top third. So each player, so the top third of the players, however, I don't know what they do for top third, are going to get those acrylic activation tokens, which is uh, nice. I really wish they would release their own activation tokens. Yeah, because we've, we've started using mm-hmm. our own, and it's much simpler than yeah. like turning your cards than or tapping your cards yeah so it, right now it's all a bit of you know some people uh, i'm using these little rebel imperial coins that i found on the thingverse for 3d printers um which work out all right now I, I need to paint them so that they're a bit more distinctive but they work um i did notice um when i've been looking online you know trying to find activation tokens i think it's team covenant they have um a web store out there and you can purchase um, a pack of activation tokens, and they're really nice acrylic ones. Um, Actually, you should be able to get a, um, a a full set of basically everything from Litgo. Um, I, I remember looking at Litgo, and they they do have um, activation tokens. They're, I just didn't care for them. I, I wasn't a big fan of them. Well, it's kind of weird. They have the activation tokens. Activation tokens sort of match these um, almost like base indicators or something like that. So like there's an activation token for each squad or something, and they all look a little different. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they're all right. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, we probably have, everyone would probably have to take a look at the Litgo ones to see what they think of them. And have either of you seen? Uh, I know they're now starting to allow us to use printed maps if they're their printed maps in tournament play. Have they actually right. gotten those released to market? Well, I don't think so. Like I, I've never they have, they've never I been available here. Like um, you know, in our in our FLGS, our friendly local gaming stores. Um, you know they they haven't been released here yet. I don't know if they've been, ever been released anywhere else. Um, they released like as soon as they did the last map change, they released. Hey, we got the we're going to be coming up with these brand new maps. So it was like there was the three different tournament maps at the time. You know, they so were releasing these and they've been on their site, but I never seen anything come out. Even online, I've you know looked for them online and have not seen anything. Um, and now you know they changed the map already, and they yeah haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen any of these. Maps and they yet. hadn't released the training grounds, which was supposed to be one of their printed maps. Yeah, um, and then they made in their tournament regulations they made the change that um, you can use printed maps, but they have to be their printed maps. Well, that's great. Where are your printed maps? Yeah, because it, it we've played one tournament with yeah. printed maps where the store provided them, and it was so much nicer yeah, to just be able difference. to roll out your yeah. map and start play rather than digging through and setting something up mm-hmm. and i mean yes it's it's part of their you have to buy certain things to play with us because they want you to have bought the game to play but anything that encourages people to come out and play yeah, in my mind easier is to set up better yeah. than making sure someone's bought all of your product well and here's the thing they already have it in their regulations that you have to own everything pretty much anyways you yes. have to have all the pieces you have to be able to make the map so, you know, to have to put this whole other spe- stipu- stipulation in that if you're going to use a printed map, it has to be their printed map. Like, come on, you're just really digging things in now. We, As long as they can prove that they have all the the things and it shouldn't matter where the printed map comes from. If, if there's a lot of these really nice ones that people have been putting on online where they've scanned them in, they've, they've made the adjustments to them, they put the, the rules on the map and, you know, you already have the stipulation in that you have to own the product. So... It shouldn't matter to you yeah, where it yeah. comes from. Yeah. You're not losing out on anything yeah. money-wise because, I mean... Well, I mean, that you are. Well, they're, they're, well they're, except for the new maps that they if, haven't yeah, If they put them out so that they were available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure, make them available and then say you can't. Right. But not make them... <clears throat> don't limit us to play when you aren't ready yet to give us the tools yes. that we want to use. That I agree with, yes. Right. So, 
Yeah, and um, it really, I think it's only going to be enforced at these really major tournaments. Yeah, like anything the that they do. The yeah. Worlds, I think, is the only one I can think of. Because all, every, like even our regional championships this year were, I mean... Now, the regionals... They were looser. They were the, looser, but it was also before they made this ruling. So I guess we'll have to see how they run these regionals that are coming up um, in February. Um, they might um, stick to this ruling that... You have to only use their printed maps, and so we'd have to build the maps as we go. But then we but, we went prepared. To yeah, we went prepared. Yeah. Pre- like build our maps, and it was just a nice perk to not have to. Not have to. Yeah, like we it, separated all the tiles we needed for each map into separate baggies, so that. Yeah, and I strongly suggest if you're going to a tournament that you take the time to pre-separate your maps out, have the tiles all in a simple bag, like one bag that you just pull out. Okay, we're doing. Leia's Nelvanian Warground, you pull out a bag labeled Nelvanian Warground, and it cuts down the yeah. setup time immensely. And then, if yeah, you have, and you're not going to have every single tile. You might have to pull tiles from other bags, but at least having the majority of what you need available right away cuts down the time. Yeah, because there's sometimes you're going to share a tile between yeah. the maps. I'm not sure that you do right now, given not, that one's Bespin, one's Hoth, and yeah. the other one is. Oh, what is the other map right now? I've completely no, forgotten. First landfill. Oh yeah, the Bantha. Yeah, from the Bantha one. So but the map itself, Twin Shadows. Yeah, we have Twin Shadow stuff in it. It has sand. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there might be some pieces that kind of. There might be a few pieces here or there, usually connectors. Yeah. With anything. Yeah. Well, I think that's all that's come out in Imperial Solid. Anything you guys wanted to add to? Th- I think the only other thing that they've come out is they also talked about what the next regional stuff is going to be like for prizing. Um, and I think it's like a Altart uh, Lando. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. yeah the uh, well, the, the next um, the next article is going to be going back to Imperial Forces and the release of the Captain Taro villain pack. Yeah. So there's a couple. There's still a couple articles left for previews because yeah. <laughs> they really haven't previewed Jabba yet. Like yeah. Well, don't. well, I think they're they're trying to keep it a little bit under wraps until after worlds are coming out because i don't think they want to bring out any of this new stuff until worlds has a chance to it's kind of like regionals they were they brought out stuff like a month before to give you time to prepare with it but this time i think it's a little close for worlds to it, it would have too big of an impact i think if something wasn't quite right so they're taking their time with this allowing it to build some hype before they bring it out so we might see another three or four articles before we do our next podcast, if yeah, they, they, at the rate they've been releasing them, they've yeah, they've been, been coming up pretty that. quick. Yeah. yeah, get that hype built up though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's coming out in the regionals, um, along with the alternate art uh, Lando, is a um, a point tracker. So an actual uh, finally an official one, an official little point tracker um, with Bosk on it, um, featuring Bosk. Yeah, that's for the top four. Uh, the top eight will get a set of acrylic attack and defense dice and I think the attack are yeah so well they according to this the dice are red and yellow so I don't know where they're getting defense from or am I missing misreading that yeah no, that's that's what they say but according to the picture it's white um, red and yellow maybe they don't have the what whatever one they want maybe it'll be black well, and they don't have a picture and, of it yeah maybe but they've I think they've released black before so I don't well, know. we got white with the last regionals didn't yeah we? we did I think we did I think it was white and green we got yeah first place gets uh the medal of Yavin so it's like a little trophy like usual or no it's a medal this time it's, it's a actually medal. a medal and yeah. uh, I when I saw that as a little uh, I mean a, a nice token is 
nice because you can use it in play. But what what am I going to do with a medal? <laughs> you're going to display it. Yeah, we'll walk you're around. Show outside everybody who walks in your house that you've got the medal of Yavin. <laughs> <laughs> well, Even Chewbacca didn't get the medal of Yavin. So, <laughs> and what else was is that? Was that basically it? Yeah. Oh, there's also oh you get the wound tra- um, scum wound trackers. So you get the um, the squad tracker for scum. So they've they've released uh, the rebel one. They've released the imperial one. Now it's the scum one. Yeah, okay. Or, yeah, yeah I, I think I've seen those used twice. Yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> Since they I, I think I've the used them one. once or twice, and I've gotten to the point where yeah, okay, whatever. They just take up too much space, and I have other ways. Of yeah, there's better stuff. ways there's better out ways. there, third party ways to yeah. track your yeah wounds exactly. and stuff. Um, but that's a, that's what's coming out for uh, the regionals. So there's some not bad little um, price support for that. So one other thing I meant to ask is whether you guys have any predictions of what you might see worldwide for results this year, given the <laughs> immense changes they've done to the mercenary faction and the slight changes they've done to the like amount of surges to negate dodge and stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know what rebels are going to do this time around. Like, well, not that rebels ever made a huge showing Like they always, people do take rebels but you never see them huge it's always been like before is like imperials and imperial troopers um but now you know i think I imperials think are still scum. going to be big but a scum is going to make a big scum? presence yeah. i think i, I yeah. i'm thinking I think there's scum. been there's yeah, been well. enough change there and yeah everybody's focused on that right now. i yeah. think it's going to come down to whether people are comfortable enough to bring a scum list mm-hmm. but i think there's been enough time since they've done the changes for people to have something up their sleeves to surprise someone with the oh. scum list this time around yeah, that it's there. You'll have some people who haven't really played since regionals, maybe who are just. I'm going to use my old familiar Imperial Trooper list because it dominated most of the regionals out there. Right, and I think scum strain lists. There's a few surprises there for people to have. You no, know, everyone's been playing around with them. I've been playing with it. You've been playing with it. We've all been trying out the different scum lists, and it's um, been very varied, like for us. Yeah. So, yeah. and a lot of them have worked that have been completely different from one another. It's like I believe you tried a bosk with um, Boba Fett. With Boba and, Fett. Yeah, and you were doing a bosk with IG88. Yeah, <laughs> I think the yeah. the common theme is bosk is getting used. Yeah, I think he's made him a lot more valuable. Yeah. Now, of course, the the one thing I'm unsure of, and unfortunately, I can't make worlds this year. Is no, that, I know is yeah. uh, will Bosk be competitive when it, when you have a time limit? Because he really shines when you don't have a time limit. You can yeah. like, treat him, but if right. you need him to go every turn, how mm-hmm. how effective will he be? So I'm yeah. I've, I'm rooting for scum, anyways. I, I think they uh, should. We come need out to see top. more scumness out there. Like before, the closest I think scumness that was really sh- showing up a little bit was the uh, the Bantha one. Um, I think it was seeing some. You start, yeah. Bantha's the Bantha droid list. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm listening. I think it's to one of the other um, Imperial Assault podcasts. We're talking about the last regionals, and um, while there were a lot of troops out there, there were you know some Bantha ones out there, which you know um, is good to see. But it'd be really nice to see something like this, like something new. Right. Yeah, well, I think um, that'll do it for this week, uh, this episode. Yeah, there's uh, a lot to think about, a lot to uh, discuss, but it was it was it was fun. Thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you follow us on our website, which is www.boardnowgaming.com. Board spelled B-O-A-R-D. We're on Facebook um, under Board Now Gaming, so um, you know follow us there. We're on Twitter um, at Board Now Gaming. Um, you can subscribe 
and uh, to the podcast on iTunes or through Google Play or even you know just download us from our website. We have a guild at uh, Board Game Geek, so you know feel free to look for us there. Um, we put show notes up there, and you know, it'd be great to have discussions if people um, start showing up and um, asking questions or throwing their feedback to how the uh, the episodes are going and what you think. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Um, but anyways, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, keep on gaming. Zombies always do